Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. This is your host, Kurt Sumner. Thanks for joining us again today. Uh, as always, we have a riveting topic that all of our listeners will have an interest in uh, and perhaps may have an issue with somewhere down the line. I'm not really sure how all that's going to play out, but uh, it's, an, it's an issue that popped up fairly recently, or at least this particular iteration of it popped up fairly recently, and we've been trying to stay ahead of it. And uh, my guest today is Jerry Carter, who's the Chief Executive Officer for NCWS. Thanks, Jerry, for joining me. You're welcome, Kurt. I know that you guys have, have been following this, I think, perhaps longer than we have, or, or at least the issue. I don't know about this particular piece of it, but uh, just for the audience information, for those who may not know Jerry or know his background, um, Jerry is, as I said, the Chief Executive Officer for NCWS and has been since, uh, I guess, about 2007. And, you know, Jerry, when I was looking at, at information, I just went back and looked at some stuff. I, I remember the days when you were in, at the North Carolina board. Yeah. But, but I'd kind of forgotten about the that your transition at NCES. I, I had in the back of my mind you went there directly as the CEO, but you actually were in a different position for a while. I, I did. I actually uh, left uh, after being with the North Carolina board for 17 years. I left and came and served as a... I'm trying to remember the title. It was Director of Corporate Affairs. I was uh, second in line uh, to the then Executive Director, Betsy Brown, but uh, I, I was the uh, second person and uh, stayed in that position from 2001 till 2007. And uh, there, there was a management change, and the uh, uh, board decided to uh, entrust me with the keys to the car, which I've had ever since. Well, from... I, I don't know everything there is to know about all the inner workings of NCES because I'm just kind of peripherally involved, but having uh, attended all the conferences over a number of years and, and of course, knowing you since back in your North Carolina days, um, I, I, I think you've done an extremely good job there, and, and I think you're, you've got the, the, the organization and its programs and its, its mission uh, on a really good path, and and so I, I congratulate you for that. And I, I guess I'm not telling tales out of school since I got the letter from Pat Tammy. And I don't know that you and I have spoken since then, but um, I know you're going to be uh, retiring here at the end of the year. And that would probably be a really good thing for you and maybe not a good thing for the rest of us because of all the great service you've provided. Well, I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, it's been a wonderful career and uh, an opportunity which I will forever be indebted to uh, both uh, the North Carolina Board and NCWS, but, you know, the thing that uh, is difficult as a job is it's also been relatively easy because of, you know, the number of people who are engaged in this organization. We've got uh, uh, representation from 50 states. We've got five territories. Uh, you know, we've got so much intelligence sometimes when we are at some of these meetings. It's just, it, it'll make your mind hurt. You can just feel a level of intelligence in the room. So, you know, it's been kind of easy for me just uh, more or less helping guide things and uh, uh, just taking advantage of the intelligence that's just in, and, and the professionalism that's uh, involved in this association. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I have a similar feeling to my tenure here at NSPS. You know, I was in the surveying profession for a long time and started doing this job back in the summer of 98. And uh, hard to believe it's been 20 years, actually. But Yeah. Uh, but that's um, you know it's it, when you find something that's it's very rewarding and you 
continually get to work with really good people, um, I, I would share your thoughts that it's it's a blessing more than anything else. Well, we are, we are we're blessed. We have uh, almost every weekend of the year here in Clemson at the national headquarters, we have exam committees, volunteers who we fly in and their job is to work on our examinations, either developing new items, maintaining, or just doing critiquing to make sure that the exams is as, as well as it can be. So uh, we just we just had, I think this past weekend, we had 110 engineers here working on a study about the fundamental exams. And, you know, the, the level of professionalism, the amount of engagement which the people give back to this organization is it's truly remarkable. I mean, I... I continue to be amazed by uh, what everybody gives back just to make sure that the profession, engineering and surveying, you know, continues to be all that it should be. It, it's really a, really remarkable, and it's been a pleasure to work with everyone. Yeah, another thing that you guys have started in, uh, I can't tell you exactly how many years, but it's in the recent years, that looking from the outside and not being our participant as an examinee, uh, just looking at it from the perspective where I am, the, the arrangements you have now with, I think it's called Pearson View, for people to be able to go take their exams on some periodic basis and not just once or twice a year or whatever, uh, that yeah. seems as though it's a great program and functioning well. It, it is. We have computer-based testing. We actually, we studied for about two years. Um, there were other organizations that had moved that way, nurses, uh, CPAs, uh, some others, and uh, we uh, did some study and talked to all these groups. We, uh, we knew we wanted to be in that direction, but we didn't want to be on the bleeding edge, so uh, we took the best that we could and actually uh, put a program into play in, in, in 2014. We brought in our Fundamentals of Engineering and Fundamentals of Surveying, uh, we have since integrated the uh, professional the uh, principles and practices of surveying, and we are now moving our uh, 23 or 24 discipline PE exams to the same thing. But it is uh, candidates essentially get the opportunity to schedule their examinations. Uh, they can pick where they want to take them. They can take them virtually anywhere in the United States, pick out an appointment, and uh, we get the results to them within five to seven days. So it's... It's really magnificent as compared to uh, what uh, five years ago when you get it twice a year and it would take you six to eight weeks to get your results. So uh, we greatly improved the process. And, and we're getting some really good statistics. It's helping us to evaluate the items in terms of how well they're performing. We can actually tell now exactly how long it's taking candidates to answer a question. So we look at that statistic. So we've improved the process. I think it's... Uh, it's helped us, state boards, candidates, and it ultimately serves the public. Yeah, one of the other things about that whole uh, testing that I've, I've, at least it's it's not confusing necessarily, just an interesting point is when you look at the surveying side, of course we all know that surveying characteristics and the way things are done and even the systems in which they are done vary across the country, uh, not, you know, in particular between the two major public lands and, and yeah and the eastern eastern side of the countryside um and and of course that has some impact on on what the exams look like but i've always wondered about the engineer side because there's so many different disciplines in engineering is that same kind of thing exist in engineering where there's significant differences in exams or are they more more close in terms of what they consist of 
Well, they're close, but they're getting getting to be different, and that that's as a direct result of uh, the education system today. There's more specialization in the different disciplines of engineering, uh, which means we constantly have to evaluate the examinations because the examinations need to not only test fundamental knowledge, but they need to test um, the type of uh, knowledge that someone would know out in the field, the practice and, and experience. But you know, it's uh, up and so here recently for the fundamental exams. Uh, I'll give you an example. We we would, uh, uh, if you are an electrical engineer, we would still ask you questions on thermodynamics, and then we did one of our normal studies and found out that they're not even teaching thermodynamics and electrical programs. So we had to, had to we had to revamp our exam, but you know that's part of the process we do every five to seven years as we go out and do a complete study of the discipline, whether it be fundamental surveying or if it's nuclear engineering, we found out, found out what's being taught and then what you need to actually know to practice a profession. From that, uh, develop specifications and then our volunteers help write items to those specifications. You know, so hopefully it keeps everything relative uh, to the practice. It certainly keeps it legally defensible for us, but uh, it, it's changing. There's just more specialization uh, in, in engineering and you know there's a lot more technology in surveying these days uh, oh, yeah. we have to keep on our toes to make sure that our, our exams are current well you're looking at those those uh, types of elements that people need to know about and what the schools are teaching I mean you were talking about that just a few minutes ago does that ever get into any collaboration through the ABET folks at all I mean I know that schools can choose to be ABET accredited and I'm assuming probably more are in, well, certainly in numbers are more are on the engineering side, but in y'all studies, is is there any connection that y'all share information with ABED, or is that a totally different thing? Well, it, it's it's not not that we don't share. We, we uh, you know, the ABED is the gold standard for us for engineering and surveying, and that is, is in terms of your education, if you have a ABED accredited education, then uh, you're more than likely to be approved for seating for examination. But ABET has a totally separate process uh, for their accreditation, and they, they changed back into, uh, oh, it's back in 2000, 2001. They have this uh, uh, outcomes process now. So the schools do a lot of, they set goals and uh, aims in terms of what it is that they try to achieve through their various programs, and then they have ways to measure it, and then what they have to do is demonstrate that to uh, to ABET in order to get accreditation. So it's a very evolved process, uh, but it's not, you know, it's, when we go out and, and survey the practitioners, uh, you know, generally we're still going to be in line with the type of education they received, uh, you know, the level of information they received, so we're not, we're not far apart but we're not related in, in the process for accreditation. Right. Yeah, I, I knew that that they were totally separate. Uh, I just assumed that there was probably some level of at least cooperation or sharing of information or at least study what the other people are doing as you're going through the process. So that, that makes perfect sense. And we've almost eaten up our entire first section, and, and I'm... I won't apologize for that because I thought it was important for um, our, our listeners to hear directly from from you uh, or somebody at, at NCS, of course, related to 
the way uh, the organization operates. I mean, everybody knows what the organization is. I'm not sure very many people actually understand very well how it operates. Um, and so I just thought that was kind of important to share with our audience to en enlighten them and me um, about about where all those things stand. And, and actually, it, it sort of segues pretty well into our primary topic today, which is, I guess for the lack of a better term, I'm going to start out by calling cross-border practice uh, and, and a specific issue that has come up and probably has something similar come up before that you may be aware of, I don't know, but certainly this is one that's caught uh, the attention of a lot of different people. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a bit of a cold um, from around the country, and uh, it's an interesting concept that I don't think it's totally new, but maybe it's the first time somebody's gone to the level or to the where, where it stands on what's happening in South Dakota right now. So let's go to our first break, and we'll come back and talk about that issue. So uh, thanks again for joining me. We'll be right back. <laughs> While he's on commercial, I'm over and get a bottle of water. I'm choking okay. right here. Owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, uh, Jerry and I began to talk a little bit about this, what I've called cross-border practice. And and you can you can talk about this, Jerry. It's not a new issue. Um, I mean, a lot of us are licensed in different states, and and we do that because we need to be licensed in different states. And there's I know there's conversation back and forth over time when state laws and even uh, frameworks under which people operate are similar, and so there's a lot of discussion about that, and I don't know, you may have a little better history on that than do I, but it's not a new concept, obviously, to talk about the whole cross-border thing. It's just sort of come up again here 
with with uh, a compact and of a group of governors, and then an actual introduction of a bill in South Dakota recently. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the whole concept of cross border practice and from this perspective of where you guys are. Yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. And and when you're talking about the history of it, you, you got to go back actually. Um, so when NCAAS was created, which was in 1920, and we are always mindful of when you read the uh, initial minutes from the meeting and the intent and purpose of the NCAAS, it was to affect mobility amongst people who had license through the various jurisdictions. So, you know, we keep telling everyone, you know, the issue that we're talking about today is why NCAAS was created. and. Uh, We've been working to solve it ourselves. Uh, we've been somewhat successful, but in some cases not as successful as we would like to be. But, uh, you know, there, there has been uh, a piece of legislation that's been introduced in South Dakota uh, here recently. And, and what's kind of interesting, it also is tied back in with the uh, U.S. Department of Labor. The, uh, the Secretary of Labor, Alexander Acosta, uh, he actually participated, as, as I am told, in uh, making some suggestions about the potential for what is uh, being known as an interstate compact for temporary licensure professionals. And uh, this bill in South Dakota, it was discussed for months before it was actually introduced, so it's only been introduced within the last week or so. But uh, what it purports to do is to... Um, just provide a system amongst interested states that would eliminate some uh, perceived barriers for people who are licensed in one jurisdiction and seeking to become licensed uh, in another, which, you know, into itself, that's not an issue. That's something that NCWS supports. Uh, we actually have, all states have a system of uh, uh, reciprocal licensure or licensure by comedy, so we already have something in place. Um, this proposed legislation just takes it a little bit further, and the, the uh, governor of South Dakota, when he introduced it, he also provided a copy to uh, the governors in Colorado, Montana, North Dakota, and Wyoming, and asked that those states as well consider introducing this legislation so uh, they would have this compact between the states. Um, but again, the main thing is, is for someone who's licensed in a jurisdiction, uh, it would allow them to obtain a temporary license for up to 18 months in another jurisdiction, and it would eliminate much of what is currently required just between the boards. Um, there's a significant application process. If I'm not licensed in Wyoming and I want to become licensed in South Dakota, I have to fill out an application in South Dakota. I have to provide documentation and support uh, on different things. And it uh, sometimes can be uh, easily a 30-day to 90-day um, you know, process to obtain a license. Well, uh, this is trying to eliminate that. But in my opinion, and again, I'm underlining my opinion, what this does is it eliminates some of the quality controls that are in place and have proven to work amongst the uh, member boards, uh, and I'll give you an example. One of the things is it says in order to uh, be considered for a temporary license, an individual must be in good standing with a state licensing authority, and that means they're not under active investigation, 
have not been the subject uh, of an unfavorable determination of a disciplinary action in two years prior to that date and has no pending disciplinary actions before the authority. So you actually could have had somebody whose license was uh, revoked a couple of years ago and have gotten it back with a state board and this, this uh, temporary license, they really couldn't even consider that the person had previously had their license revoked, which uh, I think that would give uh, many state boards a concern. You know, they want information about that. Um, the license also would require for any of the states who join the compact is uh, the state where the person is licensed has to provide evidence within 10 days about the licensee's uh, current status and their ability to practice. Uh, I think that's fairly unreasonable and probably most state boards couldn't could meet that requirement. Um, and I think another important point to me is there's very specific language that says all member state laws except for state constitution and opt-out provisions that are adopted are superseded by this interstate compact. So that would mean if you had some unique conditions about getting license in your state, uh, they may be superseded by this requirement. And the thing that comes to mind to me is all of our state boards now have some type of state-specific examination um, that require you to demonstrate you know uh, those things are specific to that state in order to practice there. Uh, in my mind, this says uh, you wouldn't be subject to taking that state-specific exam. Um, so that would, that would not be a qualifier. So uh, it makes it easier uh, on the face of it, but again, I think it provides less quality control I don't think it affords the protection to the general public, which is, you know, what occupational licensure is about. And uh, I don't know, it, it just seems to put, uh, put everything on a slippery slope here with respect to uh, licensure. So do you think this is, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to frame my question properly, I guess that the, the initiative for this, I mean, is it, totally all about commerce or uh, because I don't know that we've seen anything exactly like this before uh, I know there's yeah. been other times where it's talked but I'm, I'm not sure what the motive maybe motivation is the right word I'm talking about here uh, just to make trade or, or provision of services easier I mean is that the primary premise I, I believe it is uh, I believe it is Kurt and, and it goes beyond this there's a uh, <clears throat> There's been some underlying issues for the last several years, and, and it, it actually goes back. There was a, uh, a, a white paper that was done uh, during the Obama administration, and its opinion was is that um, occupational licensure needed to be uh, there needed to be some significant reform. That uh, it was in fact preventing uh, some people from practicing their profession. Uh, it was limiting uh, uh, opportunities. Uh, and then what happened is a lot of people are familiar with the uh, North Carolina Dental Board made a ruling uh, several years ago uh, which brought about quite a bit of publicity. And, and what they ruled is that uh, individuals who had set up kiosks in local malls to offer teeth whitening that that was considered the practice of, of dentistry and therefore, therefore they can no longer do that. Um, as a result of that ruling, the Federal Trade Commission uh, got involved and actually challenged it. 
uh, it went through the uh, Fourth uh, Court of Appeals and ultimately up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled on behalf of the FTC. Um, and it was not too hard to see why. I mean, just on the face of it, it did seem to be that it was overstepping their bounds and authority in terms of making that kind of ruling. But the Supreme Court, uh, in their decision, um, it was not as definitive as most people would like it. It left a lot of room to interpretation, and because of that, there are a lot of groups who have now taken, uh, who have assailed the licensure system. It's now been the opportunity to uh, try to evoke some, some types of reform. Um, FTC has created a uh, roundtable to discuss occupational licensure issues. Uh, there's a couple of other groups that now, that if you, you can go out and Google this, and very quickly you'll find there are a number of groups that are promoting some very wholesale reforms to occupational licensure. And I would say the main rationale behind that is economic freedom rather than protection of the general public. Uh, that's what it appears to me. You, and do you think, uh, in, is the whole idea that, and I, and I was looking at the, the list of um, professions or licensed practice, I guess is, is the right way to put it, that were attached to the information about the South Dakota uh, ruling. And you think perhaps the whole concept of too, quote, too many professions um, is part of this? Oh, a a absolutely. And I, uh, I've blown, again, this goes back to my days in North Carolina. I've, I've always had the problem because there are so many occupations that either require a license or a certification. And unfortunately, when you get into this type of um, uh, reform issue and effort, everybody gets wrapped into the same conversation. So uh, the learned professions, which is what I, I call them, the, the uh, surveying, engineering, architecture, legal, medical, that sort of thing, you know, we get locked into the asphalt pavers, the hair braider, uh, the people who own and operate uh, suntan booth uh, uh, situations. So you know, you, the, the entire issue of occupational licensure just rolls everybody into that, you know, one big ball, and it's, it's obviously, it doesn't equate well, uh, and it makes you have to defend, you know, your reason for being, uh, which, which is a problem. But, um, I, you know, I, I think that there's no problems about any of our state boards in engineering and surveying uh, being able to uh, defend their existence, why they need to exist, uh, the good that they do for the general public. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's, it's just the whole idea that you get this slant about um, if you have to have a license and you have boards that are operated by uh, appointees that practice the profession, well, then the only thing these people are doing is trying to make sure that they're protecting turf. They're trying to make sure that they limit the competition, limit the number of people who are going to be able to come into the, to the profession. And uh, you know, that's an argument that rings loud and hard with the general public, um, who are sometimes less interested in you talking about how much good the serving and engineering profession do and how they keep them out of trouble, you know, keep them from building 
uh, on the wrong lot. They keep a building from falling down. Uh, those are the uh, issues which the general public, you know, they're, they're not as sexy. They're not as sexy. Right. Well, believe it or not, we're at the end of our second break, our second section. Okay. So let's go to break, and we'll come back in uh, just a couple of minutes. Thanks. Broadside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside field books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quick stakes today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's a buzz off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You know, Jerry, you were talking about um, a lot of the perspectives or perceptions of, of the licensing structure, and um, you hear things like, well, it's just a moneymaker for the state. Well, having been involved with the licensing board, you might have some comment about that. But, um, yeah. And then it's, uh, you know, that boards don't pay for themselves. They're just protecting themselves, like you said earlier. Uh, and, oh, by the way, they're self-regulating. How good can that be? Um, and then... There are just way too many things, and you touched on that a little bit, being being licensed these days. And uh, I, I'm sure you hear those kind of things regularly. Hey, it, it's been ever since my career started in 1984 with engineering survey and licensure. And it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, I, I think until the time my mother passed away, I could never fully explain to her what it is I did and, and what an occupational licensing board was you know, what our purpose was. It's just one of those, you know, it's a necessary thing, but it's not the sort of thing that, again, it's not sexy. You don't get a lot of publicity about it. The only time you get publicity is when you do something wrong or there is some perception by the general public that somehow you are doing harm or wrong to an individual. But, you know, there's so many things, and we spend, NCWS as an organization, uh, we spend a significant amount of money each year just trying to, uh, educate and promote uh, the value of licensure to the general public. Why, why it is essential? You know these things that are being discussed now on the national level. Uh, I think President Trump's next uh, foray is uh, trying to get some money f to help with infrastructure. Well, you know that's that's engineering, that's surveying, that's you know putting things back in place, that keep keep bridges from falling down. You know keep our roads uh, in shape. Um, uh, and, you know, all, all the things that are related to that. Um, but, you know, there's too many times when we get from, uh, we get people who do complain and want to give us a comment is they, they don't know why they're having to pay a surveyor or an engineer 
$500 just to put their seal on something. You know, and that, that's always for somebody who's been in the business this long, that's somewhat infuriating, and it just shows. For sure. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I'll say this because I can't think of another term. It shows the general ignorance of the public, which and I don't blame them. I'm pretty ignorant about a lot of things, too, but. Um, you know, if, if they didn't get those services and something was found wrong, then they would be complaining loud and hard about, you know, why they were not served and why their interests were not protected. So, uh, you know, we try to do that as well as we can, but um, it, it, it's difficult. Unless, you, unless you've got bodies on the ground or you've got, you know, some significant issue with flooding a floodplain that wasn't mapped appropriately, you know, those things don't come to the attention of the public. It's not something you see in the press, uh, which in some ways is a compliment. When you don't see yourself in the press, then you're doing a good job. And, right. you know, we, we, we felt like we've been doing a job for a number of years. And, and, uh, and, and I think to a degree, I, I'm going to get into the opinion business here, Kurt. I think there are a number of, of individuals within NCWS that recognize that there is some reform that is needed. There are some more commonalities that are required amongst our state boards. We do have model law, model uh, law, which are best practices, but it's then subject to our individual state boards as to whether or not they adopt those in total or in part. And uh, there's just been some anomalies that, that state boards have felt were absolutely necessary for their jurisdiction. You know, when, when you look at it as a whole, uh, if you've had another state board that's gone through and they've vetted somebody totally, they've vetted their experience, they've looked at references, these people have completed the NCAAS examinations. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what much more is needed beyond that if you want to get licensed in another jurisdiction. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that's where we're going to be working towards, and I think that would actually be in support of some of this legislation. I would just rather NCAAS and the state boards be a little bit more in control of how that ends up. Right. Yeah, and that I think that brings up a, a good good thought about when you were talking about the NCWS exams and, and then the, their state-specific portions of exams and that kind of thing. Um, so I guess those kind of things play into all of this, too, because uh, we each have our state-specific portion, um, and I'm as you said before, there's a lot of commonalities uh, from state to state when they work in particular types of systems, you know, like the public plan system or whatever. So I guess one could could make that argument that that's kind of uniform. Um, yeah. The attitudes, though, are and always have been that it's different in my state. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um, and 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 there's some truth to that. I mean, there there's no doubt that there's truth to that. Um, yeah. That as you so that's where the hard part comes, I guess, is how do you make those determinations? Um, and by the way, you mentioned the whole concept of ignorance earlier. Uh, I've I've never been insulted if anybody said I was ignorant about something because that just simply means I don't know. Um, right. If they, if they call me stupid, now that's all other thing, you know. Be, yeah. Because you know, if you're stupid, you know the difference, and you do it anyway. At least that's my definition. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm there with you, but you, you know, that's. I, I think what we're going to see is, and it has been through the years, and it's, it's been because it's it's, it's not frivolous, but you do hear a lot at our 
meetings and when our, our boards get together and it is, well, we can't do that in our state. And sometimes you absolutely can't because it's a legislative mandate or, you know, it's, it's, it's some power higher than the state board. But, you know, what we're seeing now is, is the more nuances you have beyond what is considered the national standard, the NCAS standard, well, you just as a state, you better be able to defend that. Otherwise, you're going to be subject to uh, your state legislature or one of these uh, groups is trying to get four or five states to come together with a compact. You're going to be forced to make a change. So it's, uh, you know, do you want to change it or do you want someone else to change it? You know, I think it's going to be a big question. And, uh, yeah, our, our boards are, our, our members are smart enough and, and understand, and um, I, I think we will see more changes and some more self-evaluation of, you know, do we really need to do this? Uh, uh, can we trust our other, you know, state boards, you know, a as we need to, that they're doing the job that they do? Can we trust the NCWS organization, you know, that they're doing the proper vetting? So uh, we got a little bit of soul-searching, but uh, in the interim, you know, you're going to have these pieces of legislation introduced and you're going to continue to have challenges that say, uh, you know, occupational licensure has, has had its day and it's not really serving the public uh, the way it used to. Yeah, and, and again, I think there's some element of that that relates to, you know, what's the difference between licensing? You know, licensing isn't just licensing. And I, and I don't know, do you see any any trend of looking at occupational licensing, um, and you mentioned some categories there earlier, versus what we kind of tend to think of as professional licensing. Um, I, they all get lumped into the same bucket, it seems. Um, yeah. But I, I was just curious about your thoughts on that, because you were right. There's almost a license for pretty much anything you want to do these days. Yeah, and I, and I really do. I, I personally feel that's what's muddied up the water, and a lot of the research I've done here about uh, proposed reforms to uh, to licensures and certification, uh, when you look at it, you're talking about generally how it's impacting the lower income uh, types of, of, of professions and occupations, and, you know, it's, it's generally not the surveyor, engineer, architect, it's the uh, home inspector, the makeup artist, the, the uh, manicurist, nail technician, you know, which to me, they don't, you don't fit them in the same basket. It just, it doesn't work that way. And I think there needs to be some more uh, segregation and separation between, uh, and I don't, know, I don't know if it's based on education, if it's based on uh, experience, experience, Examination. I'm not sure what it is, but um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of difference when you look at getting a certification to be an earth driller and being getting a license to be a professional engineer. And you shouldn't be treated in the same vein when you're talking about what it takes to get a license or, or certification. But, you know, yeah. An interesting interesting thing too. I mean, it it gets to be uh, on the insane side too, as far as I'm concerned. There's a uh, a representative, I believe it's in the state of Washington, who introduced a bill which didn't go anywhere, but uh, still the idea that he introduced it. And, and what he was suggesting is replacing the current licensing system in the state of Washington with an online rating system, similar to what you'd find on something like Angie's List 
Yelp, or Uber. So he was saying essentially we've reached that part in society where with all the access we have to technology, uh, you know, we should be just left for everybody to fend for themselves. You can go out on these websites, you know, look at ratings, and you can make your own decision as to the qualifications and abilities of someone. So it's gotten, to me, fairly ridiculous, you know, as to what some people are throwing out. Yeah, that that's, uh, I think your terminology insane probably a really good one right there uh, just because and, and I don't think it's it's done with any malice in, uh, intended necessarily it's just well yeah. we, we have all these ways to do things now so what's the big deal yeah and I, and I think it is and, and I don't know that you could not for certain professions I'm not sure, sure that that would work but again it gets back to do you really want to go on Angie's list to find your lawyer or your doctor or your engineer and surveyor and, and no, I really don't think so. Now, if I want to get my nails done, you know, I may would look at it and look at, you know, people's recommendations and thoughts. But, you know, that's where there needs to be a clear segregation as to what is the potential impact that, you know, somebody in providing a service, what that may have on the welfare of the general public. So, yeah, I, don't know draw, I don't know who's going to draw that line, but somebody needs to. <laughs> Yeah, and, and sadly, uh, I guess that this happens in either case, really, but sometimes it boils down to personalities are, for whatever reason, you isn't getting along with that person, and so if you're going to put something about them on one of these social yeah. media outlets, then you know, they're the most horrible person in the world to you, but yeah. that doesn't mean they're unqualified or even they are a horrible person. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's so subjective uh, in those types of situations, so, so that's for sure. Well, we've uh, got a minute. Go ahead. I was just going to say, anybody who would look at the the licensure system for engineers and surveyors today, it's based on, on education, experience, and examination, and then you have references, you've got all this. I mean, there's such a such an effort that's put in to, to make sure that people demonstrate that they are minimally competent, which means if they are issued a license, they will do no harm to the public. You know, and there, there's a lot of these other groups can't, they don't have that process. Exactly. And what, what I was going to say before, and we got just a few 10, 15 seconds or so before the break, but um, I think we may have talked about this before, but that level of harm is is certainly um, part of the equation as well, like you just pointed out. You know, if, if, if somebody cut my hair too short, then yeah. that'll probably go away when my hair grows back out. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, anyway, we we got to go to break. Let's We'll pick up okay. on, on your ideas for where you think the future is going when we come back. Okay. Quick stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Lawyer Liz. 
Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Sealed books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable sealed books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Sealed Books. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. On our last segment, uh, Jerry, I want to talk with you about your thoughts on, on the future. Uh, like you said when we were talking during the break, this is a really broad topic that could go on forever and ever and ever, and I think we've covered the bases. So I'm interested in two things, uh, the, the future of where you think this is going, and, and, and is Jerry going to be a... a a flower gardener or uh, a crop gardener or uh, what's Jerry going to do in the, in the next few years? Yeah, well, um, yeah, this is, this is an interesting issue and, and uh, it's one, again, I, I, I support some of what I see in here because I think there is some reform that's necessary, but I also am somebody who's a very strong believer uh, in, in, in sunset legislation, which probably most everybody knows what that is, but if you don't, it's for state agencies every uh, five to seven years, you basically have to justify why you exist, why you are, should be remain a part of state government. And uh, not all our boards are subject to that. I wish they were because I think uh, it's so easy uh, to, to, to give clear justification as the important work that the engineering and surveying boards do. And uh, I've read some of uh, the reports. Our uh, Texas board just recently went through it. and. We were asked to provide some comments, and, and uh, uh, you can't help but read this thing and just understand it, it, it's important to have engineering uh, uh, profession regulated. This was the engineering board that did it. So, you know, I, I have some sympathy and, and some support for some of the changes. I, I'm just afraid uh, it, it's one of those issues that in talking with the general public, uh, when you're talking about, again, e economic freedom, it comes down to uh, cost. You know, I, I really don't understand what the person's doing and why I'm having to hire them, so therefore I'm upset because I'm going to have to pay money. And we try, we try, we try, and that's just a hard uh, issue to fully educate everyone about the significance of it and why you need, need to pay for it. Uh, another concern I have is... Uh, the federal government is in some ways leading this. Of course, licensure is a state-by-state -state issue, but the uh, uh, Secretary of Labor, the FTC, uh, some others, even the White House, uh, are expressing concerns about what they feel is over-regulation. And I know um, the current chair of the FTC has made some fairly strong statements about her opinions um, I'm going to see if I can quote here, says the public safety and health rationale for regulating may, for many of those occupations, ranges from dubious to ridiculous. It says licensure bodies have been captured by economic actors with an interest in rent-seeking anti-competitive behavior. Now, if you've got a federal official that's saying that, that's their view of occupational licensure, 
uh, that paints a pretty poor picture. Uh, I think it sounds awfully good to the public, and it makes our job just that much more difficult to uh, separate ourselves uh, in terms of the engineering and surveying profession, and again, to explain and justify why, although there may be some minor changes that are needed, essentially, what we've got works, and the public benefits from it. Who was that statement by? I need to look that up. That is by the current FTC chair. Her name is Maureen Olhausen. Uh, you can just, I tell you what, just Google the uh, Federal Trade Commission, and I'm going to search the occupational licensure, and you will see her comments, and you will also see that they now have a uh, occupational licensure roundtable. So the FTC is having regular discussions these days about reforms which they think are necessary in order to bring things uh, not necessarily in compliance, but uh, in better sync with what the public wants these days. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned the thing earlier about the, the perception that people have. Um, they, they think, well, why am I paying this person? And, and this is true certainly in surveying and, and obviously as an engineering too, although in, in the engineering side, oftentimes you're not dealing with the individual public citizen nearly as much. Um, right. But that, that view of, <coughs> okay, I pay less for it, it's got to be more valuable to me. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And then all I get is a piece of paper. So that, that I think, leads to some of this discontent. Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I am not, uh, I, I've, I've heard some people in talking about uh, uh, services and, you know, I, uh, if, if I had not been involved in the profession, the occupation, I'd probably, I, I'd be questioning it. I think I would understand it after somebody told me, but, uh, yeah, I would be questioning it. And, you know, the thing is, too, we've talked about this recently about, uh, particularly in the surveying profession, there seems to be more instances of surveyors being investigated and there being disciplinary actions by state boards. And this is sort of off the subject, but it's not. But, you know, one of the reasons that happens more so for surveying than engineering is, you know, when you come out to resurvey a person's piece of property and you put a pen somewhere where they don't think that's where the pen is, uh, they're going to argue with you and they're going to then contact the state board. You know, so your your efforts are more readily known uh, based on that. You get an engineer, they're involved in a project with a building and, you know, they're not going to complain unless the building starts to fall down or the HVAC system's not working properly, and that might take a few years. So, you know, and then the, in the surveying, I was going to say, in the surveying side, you're de dealing directly with your client, that public, yeah. you know, the public, but in all likelihood, you're dealing with, with at least two or three other people, too, <laughs> yeah, that's who, true. who also may have a beef with what you did. Yeah, and, and engineers, professional engineers and professional land surveyors need to become more political. Uh, because, uh, you know, these are battles that are coming up in which there's going to have to be uh, people that go to state legislatures to, uh, to, to comment, to give testimony, uh, to defend their professions. I mean, that's, that's what it's going to be called for in some cases. NCWS is offered to every one of our state boards. If you have a piece of legislation that's entered and you want representation from our organization, our current president, Pat Tammy, who's a professional loan surveyor, uh, he or other members of the board, they'll go. We'll provide testimony as to what the national standard is, how we do what we do, and how the public benefits from our services.
Yeah, one of the other things you were talking about that we need to become more, maybe a term I would use is more diplomatic in the way we approach people sometimes, too. Yeah. Because we, we tend to be a little, I don't know if autocratic is the right word, but... Uh, well, I will say in my experience, and I've said this many times, surveyors are much more politically active than engineers. And I used to be told the reason for that is is because surveyors spent so much time around the courthouse and they got to know all the lawyers, but... I don't know why that is, but my experience is uh, surveyors pay more attention to when there's uh, legislative changes or things that may impact their profession, but uh, the engineers catching up. They're, 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 they're becoming more aware, and uh, NCWS, I will say this too, we are working with, uh, we have a, a, a small uh, group that involves uh, our contemporaries with the architects and the landscape architects, and we are working all three organizations together to try to see if we can't use our uh, our combined influence uh, to contact uh, you know, some, some of these people who are trying to press forward this legislation to, again, uh, educate them, press the message about, you know, we are important, uh, we do a good job, and, you know, you need to kind of call us out from uh, some of these lesser-known uh, uh, occupations, not professions, but occupations. Right. And and that's I think that's a great step, actually, to build that collaboration among the, 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 the professions as we know them to be, you know, the engineering, architecture, surveying side, um, and whatever those, the landscape architects are all obviously part of that as well, and, yes. and whatever their different arms are. But... Um, uh, over time, and it's not as not as strong now as it used to be, but there was a group that consisted of all of those entities in one yep. that they did a lot of national lobbying together, and that's kind of backed off in the recent years. I'm not really sure why, but uh, I think it's pretty effective, and and I think it's it's something we all need to be looking at because um, what's that old saying? You'll hang together or hang separately. Oh yeah, and you know when you put a uh, number of professions together, like I just mentioned. Uh, that's a number of people, and a number of people are what count when you have a voice, uh, you know, talking to legislators, and, and that's what it, that's what's needed. So, we're trying to do our best to try to uh, help move that conversation forward. And again, we would there, there are some things we would agree, agree to. I'm sure it's just we would like to be able to craft that because we already think we've got a pretty good process in play, and it's been proven, you know, over almost 100 years. So, uh, so at, by, uh, out of curiosity, on the um, the licensing boards now a lot of states have separate boards for engineering yeah. and surveying and maybe others and then there's some that kind of cover everybody I know ours in Virginia is sort of an all-inclusive board yeah um, are you is, do you see any advantages one way or the other um I, I really don't I come from a board that was engineering and surveying and of course I thought that was a perfect world but Having seen, you know, the other varieties, I, I, I do wonder about some of the larger boards, like like the Virginia board, uh, Kurt, also the Arizona board, the uh, uh, Minnesota board. Uh, the number of occupations that you regulate uh, and then the number of staff they have to dedicated to do that, it just gives me pause to wonder, I mean, about how effective you can be. The groups that I know do a good job, but I, it's, it's just hard for me to fathom uh, like with the Virginia board, I know one of the groups, uh, in addition to engineering, architecture, survey. Did I lose you, Jerry? Hello? Are you there, Jerry? Hello? 
Hello, hello. Kurt, I, I think you lost him. Oh, did Jerry? I, I thought maybe it was me that went away. <laughs> no, no, it was, uh, it was Jerry. Okay, because I was, I was thinking that I wasn't hearing anything, so I was checking my phone to see if maybe I'd, I'd gone offline or something. So what we, were, what we were talking about there was these boards. He was talking about the Virginia board that I'm somewhat familiar with. and It has surveyors, engineers, uh, landscape architects, interior designers, uh, pho- photogrammetrists. Uh, and, and the point I think Jerry was making was that uh, sometimes it's hard to try to cover all of those areas just administratively and then from the the, the licensing board perspective itself. And I know one of the things that we do in Virginia, each of those groups kind of looks at their own their own uh, licensees and then they come together for, you know, sort of an overall ruling or what have you. But uh, certainly this whole idea of licensure and cross-border practice is one that we're going to be seeing more and more of. And as Jerry pointed out, um, you're going to see perhaps legislation or regulation being proposed that will have a a big impact on that. So I think it's incumbent on us in all the professions and for us, of course, being surveyors to be aware of where things stand and and decide how what kind of impact we want to try to have on these different things and uh, what are what we're going to say about it. So if you're still with me, David, then I will say goodbye to you today, and then I'll get back in touch with Jerry and see how we lost him. But okay. nonetheless, I uh, appreciate the audience being with us today. Take care. We'll see you next week. All right. Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside Field Books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. Thank you for listening.